Produced at the studios of KBOO Radio in Portland, Oregon, this is Free Culture Radio. Free Culture Radio neither promotes the use of any drugs nor condemns people for being involved in drugs. To the extent that drug use presents problems for individuals or society, those problems are made worse and more intractable when people who use drugs are treated as others and ignored, stigmatized, and even brutalized. My name is Morgan Godvin, uh, born and raised in Portland, Oregon. I do a lot of different things. Sometimes it's hard to spit it all out quickly. Uh, I'm an editor at JSTOR Daily. I'm the founder of Beats Overdose. I serve on the state's Alcohol and Drug Policy Commission, the Measure 110 Oversight and Accountability Council, and the Multnomah County Local Public Safety Coordinating Council. You are involved in several efforts to make things better. And I wanted two of them that I wanted to ask you about. The um, the one is, of course, Measure One Ten, the Drug Addiction Treatment and Recovery Act, and passed overwhelmingly uh, by Oregon's voters back in the twenty twenty general election. And full disclosure, I voted in favor of it. Tell me about the work you're doing with Measure One Ten. Yeah, so I started uh, volunteering in support of Measure One Ten before it was even called Measure One Ten in late twenty nineteen. And I firmly believed in the measure because in 2013, when I was arrested for drug possession in Portland and foisted into drug court under the illusion of choice, like either we can give you this felony and you'll never work as a paramedic again, or you can do drug court. Obviously, you're going to choose option drug court. Um, And I volunteered for a jail sentence because I'm white and middle class and stupid. And I really thought that the justice system was there to help me. And so I showed up to court with my Suboxone and a letter from my doctor and the written prescription, and I volunteered for a jail sentence, uh, thinking that I would get re-stabilized on my Suboxone, that I would take it every day for seven days, not do heroin, get out, never do drugs again. And then when I got to the jail, they laughed in my face. They just laughed at me because obviously the jail does not prescribe medications for opioid use disorder, even if you are already on them in the community. So they, they stripped me of that medication. They made me kick cold turkey, puking in an open dorm with fluorescent lights that never turned off in agony. And then they released me essentially back to homelessness, back to the exact same situation from which I came. But after that traumatic experience and just totally feeling betrayed. And so I knew because I had literally tried to like lean into the justice system to help me with my addiction. I knew that the purpose of the justice system was not actually to help anyone with their addiction because they slapped me across the face for even trying. And so as soon as I heard about, you know, drug decriminalization, I knew that I supported it because I'd lived the nightmare. I'd watched every single friend of mine that died of a heroin overdose was incarcerated repeatedly first. So if it's not helping people, what is it doing? So if if the fact that we are arresting people for their substance use and their addiction is not helping them, what is it actually doing? To what aim? And so I became involved in Measure 110. It passed by quite a large margin. And now the drug war is coming full circle because we're using our weed tax money to fund substance use disorder services. And you'll hear people saying things like, it's not working or it's not working as well as we hope because it's not connecting people to treatment. And I want to address that. 
We have no universal healthcare system in the United States. We have a hodgepodge of nonprofits and for-profit medical providers. There is no way to track one person's journey through the system. So if that person access syringe exchange, but then later enters detox, we don't know that. There is no comprehensive system to track when someone enters treatment. Treatment is a loaded word. What does that mean? Because you're probably... When I see that in the media, I think they're talking about inpatient, which is not evidence-based medicine. In fact, medications for opioid use disorder are a very cost-effective and highly efficacious intervention, quite unlike inpatient, which is wildly expensive and has atrocious success rates. But those success rates vary very much one facility to the next because there's no standards because this is America. And so I definitely oppose the fact. Measure 110 is working because no one else is getting put in handcuffs, tossed in jail, and losing their housing and their job simply because their drug of choice is not alcohol. And that, that's all. Well, that actually brings up one of the, one of the things that some of the, uh, some of the opponents, I mean, same people who opposed it before it passed are still opposed to it. Um, Imagine that. <laughs> surprise. Um, they, um, I mean, as I say, I voted in favor of 110 because I thought that if it passed, then fewer people would be put through the system. I say it's, it, as far as the system is concerned, those are futile and pointless arrests. As far as the individual is concerned, those can be life ruining. Yeah. So it, it's a, you know, it, it, my understanding is fewer people are getting arrested. Um, and then, um, and that f- not as many people as they hoped are calling this helpline, possibly because the people getting arrested don't necessarily have drug problems. They just have a problem with the criminal legal system. Um, but there has been a problem recently, and yeah. that's about the funding. Can yes. you talk about that for a moment? Absolutely. The Oregon Health Authority has thrown roadblocks in our path at several different steps. They say that they're taking a hands-off approach because this is supposed to be a community-led process. Uh, what they're really doing, I feel, is sometimes trying to sabotage us because we are specifically appointed to that council because of our lived experience, because of our experience trying to access harm reduction, treatment, and recovery services in Oregon because of our experiences with addiction. We are not grant makers. I, I have never constructed a rubric or a request for grant proposals. OHA needed to have given us more guidance, and they took a hands-off approach that tended towards intentional creation of conflict and disorder. Um, anyway, our job is done. We finished all our rubrics back in February, uh, me and the other people we reviewed over 300 grant applications, but then the Oregon Health Authority, after we'd been working on it for two months and were literally done, told us that for some reason that they never quite explained it, our, what we had done was somehow insufficient and it needed to go to Oregon Health Authority staffers, which is exactly what the measure didn't want to happen, which was have bureaucrats deciding where the money goes and not us. But they, they've got a little fire lit under their now. There was a lot of media attention recently. And so I do believe that they will be expediting the release of these funds. And hopefully we'll, we'll be seeing award letters going out next month and funds starting to be released as early as this summer. 
they're they're holding up 90% of the money. I just want to clarify. When people are like, oh, Measure 110 is not working. 90% of the money for this biennium is sitting frozen in a state bank account because of layers of bureaucracy. And uh, you work with these people, so you probably need to be polite and not say this, but I don't, so I will. I was just reading Lund Report. They have a hundred or so, at least a hundred staffers at OHA who are supposed to be reviewing all of these things, and yet they are still dragging their feet. I mean, a hundred people working on these, you said, yeah. what, 300 applications? 300, 300 applications, a hundred people. Yeah, well, they each people. have to be done twice, so, six, so 600, I'll give them that. Great, and, um, and there's a hundred people working on it. That's right. I reviewed like 65 across the course of three-ish weeks in between my full-time job, my part-time job, and my multiple other service positions. So I don't know why they can't figure it out. 100 full-times, 100 actual staffers trying to, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's safe to say they're dragging their feet. Um, yeah, I agree. I'm allowed to say that I, they, they don't, I am not a state employee, so I don't have to deal with some of the censorship issues that state employees do. I'm not a public employee. I, I am just a citizen representative. And so that means I can say whatever I want. And I usually try to be real nice, but I believe in measure 110 with all my heart and I'm so passionate about it. And then to watch, and then my partner is on a measure 110 funded job. She's currently having to interview for new jobs because she's going to get laid off because OHA hasn't been able to get the money out the door for her job to continue. And so I have a personal vested issue in this matter. And also, you know, my friends are out here still dying, living in tents downtown. And a lot of this money is going towards housing, expanding medication, peer mentoring, the things that this community needs most. I, I, I read these grant applications. There are There is just amazing work that is going to be done in our community with this money. If we would just get it out the door. Ugh. Well, I'm grateful to you for, for speaking up about this because it is an outrage. I mean, it's it's. Yeah, it's an outrage. And we are, well, you know, it's with legalization, with decriminalization, with Measure 110, with any of these, with any of these reforms, the the opponents don't just give up just because they got beat. I mean, we don't give up just because we got beat, we've gotten beat in the past. Why should we expect that the other side would be smart? Yeah, I do just want to say it's absolutely preposterous to insinuate that Measure 110 increased crime in any way. And that, that is such a frustrating insinuation. Uh, and I just want to clarify that crime is actually down across most parts of the state. It's up a little bit. Property crime is up a, a little bit in Portland and Salem and down in the entire rest of the state. Josephine County is the county that has issued the most Measure 110 citations. Are more people using drugs in Josephine County? I don't know. But if Measure 110 had anything to do, wouldn't, wouldn't we see an elevation of property crime? And just, it's, just, it's just preposterous. It's just absolutely preposterous. Or that it increased homelessness when we've been struggling with our homelessness crisis for five years. I, I got out of prison. It was like I walked through a dystopian time machine. Okay. I left a Portland that did not exist when I came home. Tents everywhere, everywhere. And then people randomly just want to start making stuff up and say, oh, but it's measure 110. Okay. I have pictures from the day I got out of prison in 2018. It's definitely not measure 110. You're listening to Free Culture Radio. I'm Doug McVeigh. My guest is Morgan Godvin. We'll have more in a moment.
Drug User Liberation Front, along with the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, the Western Aboriginal Harm Reduction Society, and others, held a news conference April 13th to discuss the need for bold action to address the drug poisoning and overdose crisis. Here's Eris Nix with the Drug User Liberation Front. Today marks a grim, grim day, six years into a public health crisis. Six years without answers, six years of hearing we're sorry from people in power, and six years of our friends, family, and community members dying to the pallid death of overdose. Things have been difficult for many of us, and I think it's important for us to use this day to remember all those we have lost, as well as as an opportunity to reflect on the colonial racist and archaic drug policy that is failing and killing our friends, family, and loved ones. This policy, the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, needs to be repealed, replaced, reformatted, thrown in the trash. We cannot wait another six years to change what is happening. Every year we lose more and more folks. Uh, The coroner just released in British Columbia, the death numbers for February. They did not release these with any pomp and circumstance. They did not release them with any good news. On this, the grim anniversary of the sixth year of a public health crisis, it is us, people who use drugs, who have come together to protect our own communities. And to this end, the Drug User Liberation Front has distributed 17 grams of cocaine, heroin, and methamphetamine tested uh, rigorously across the province to various drug user groups. And today you will hear from some of the folks that received that supply. And I must stress as my final point that what we need is regulation of a deregulated market. You would not see alcohol toxicity grow to the point where it is killing 10,000 people over six years. Alcohol is the most dangerous drug of all, yet it is regulated. Why do we regulate it? Because we know prohibition fails. And much the same as a prohibition of alcohol, so too is a prohibition of drugs. With that being said, I would like to also state that no one who has ever taken Dolph drugs have overdosed, either fatally or non-fatally. Drug users have the solutions. The government needs to get out of our way, stop apologizing, or do it themselves. We will move through them if we have to. That was Eris Nix with the Drug User Liberation Front in Vancouver, B.C. Find them on the web at dolph.ca. Welcome back. Let's hear more from my conversation with Morgan Godwin. So let's move to this other thing that you're doing. This um, this project you've got called Beats Overdose. Yeah, so this is the most exciting thing I've ever done in my life. So you, you ever have those moments where you're just like sitting around and an idea strikes you and you think it's a really good idea, but it's really far-fetched and it would be like impossible to do? That That is what happened with Beats Overdose. I 
had I Juice World overdosed, Mac Miller overdosed, my friends are overdosing and dying at the same times. We all, you know, we grew up in East East County, right? Gresham and hip hop was the dominant music genre out there. So I've been a hip hop head since I was a little kid. And so I'm like seeing, I'm seeing, okay, rappers are overdosing and dying. My friends who listen to hip hop are overdosing and dying. The government is not coming to save us. We are in the worst overdose crisis in human history. Okay. And I like connected the dots and I was like, let's do something. Let's do something with hip hop. Let's do something with music. Let's do something with culture. Since top down hierarchical public health doesn't, it just doesn't resonate, especially among younger people. And so I DM'd my favorite rapper, Atmosphere. And he posted it when DMX died. And I said, hey, man, hip hop has an overdose problem. Do you want to do something about it? And he responded to me. Dude's kind of famous. And he responded to me and he goes, I don't know what that means. What do you mean do something about it? And I gave him some of my ideas. And, you know, he's lost people to overdose. He's been directly impacted. Anybody in the music industry has. And here we were in this meeting a few weeks ago and he said you know i didn't know there was another way i thought it was either just say no to drugs and then once they start doing drugs like essentially we just have to throw our hands up and be like oh there's nothing else we can do he didn't even know that harm reduction was a thing that existed that there was tools that people could use to keep themselves and their friends safe and as soon as he found that out he jumped on it and he took harm reduction on tour so last summer atmosphere co-headlined with cypress hill and we got harm reduction across the entire West Coast, passed out over a thousand doses of Narcan, uh, hundreds of fentanyl test strips at the Albuquerque show. The harm reductionists that were volunteering there reversed two overdoses in a single night, saved two people's lives that night because I had a wild idea and DM my favorite rapper and then fought, you know, did all the work that led to that. And then, you know, it's all volunteer. All these harm reductionists staffing it are volunteer. They're scraping together Narcan through either like grants or public or I don't even know where it comes from sometimes, but uh, they make magic happen with nothing. And um, and I did that. That was all volunteer. And then the the record label got got wind of that and how successful that program had been and how positively it had been received by the fan base. And then the record label started supporting it. And uh, we're preparing for this summer's tour now, trying to get into more festivals, more venues. It's probably the most exciting thing that I see in harm reduction because it's that unknown, unknown thing, right? We're seeing overdoses now in people who wouldn't even know to think, is there fentanyl in my drugs? Because previously cocaine use was safe. Previously buying Percocet was safe. And so it's changing that unknown unknown into a known unknown will they at least know hey this might contain fentanyl and they have the fentanyl test strips and they know how to check it and they have narcan and they know how to use it and they know that fentanyl might be in their drug supply so they don't use alone we are saving people's lives through hip-hop music i mean the electronic dance music scene there's been an awareness for some time that you have to have drug checking services available i mean it's it's and yeah, so I why didn't you're my age, then you just rem- if you're my age, you have to remember Wavy Gravy saying from the stage, "Don't eat the brown acid." But um, you know, it's <laughs> and it, which is, you know, it's which is yeah, it's funny, but uh, but then and nowadays, nowadays you really do have to be concerned. Is it acid? Is it twenty five n bomb? If it's n bomb, you don't want to take that, and that's why the drug checking services are such. 
I mean, obviously the problem is the toxic drug supply, but in the meantime, things like these drug checking services. Narc- now, are you um, are you work? Do you work at all? Does does beats um beats overdose work at all with um with uh, smaller venues with um clubs, bars, and such or? Yeah, so I got to meet with the president of the National Independent Venues Association, and she was super supportive. And we're trying to get it into more independent. It's easier to get stuff done in smaller venues, honestly, right? You don't have to deal with, like, the corporate America stuff. Um, And then so now we're just trying to target artists whose music has lyrical alignment with our mission. And uh, I'm trying to think of a better way to say that. Essentially, artists that talk about drugs, but I don't want to say that in a stigmatizing way. <laughs> so, you know, if, if I'm hearing like Zans and Perk, you know, Zans, Pop Zans, Pop Zans on a song, I'm like, oh, you are my dude. Let's chat. And uh, getting fentanyl test strips in the artist green room because, you know, it trickles down from artists. They're, they sort of are, are steering the ship when it comes to culture shifts. So what if we could steer that shift? Sh- ship towards harm reduction like condoms made it into rap lyrics in the 90s during the hiv crisis where the default was you're going to wear a condom and it would like they would actually rap about it i don't know if they were doing it but they were actually rapping about it and i would love to see that with fentanyl right especially the fentanyl risk in pills and powders where people don't even know that there might be a risk when you're shooting drugs in your arm you know that you're doing something risky right and those people access service harm reduction typically through syringe exchange um, in, in areas that have syringe exchange. I, I realize that there's large swaths of rural America that have been locked out. Um, but people who don't have a substance use disorder, who don't inject drugs, how do we reach them? Because we know, as we talked about earlier, they are dying of overdose like we've never seen before in history. So how do we reach them? And that's the thing. It's not that pe- exactly. It's not that there's a. It's not that people, engage, you know, engage in drug use, and you reach a certain point where it all builds up, and you realize, no, it's the, it's the, you know, it's that, it's that pill which was in a press, which was contaminated, and it had fentanyl, and so this thing you thought was going to be one thing turns out to be something else. Yeah. Can I? I'm sorry. No, go please. I just, I really prime example of just how toxic our drug supply is so you know I, I i lived abroad i've lived across latin america and i speak spanish and i read spanish news because it's usually better than american news anyway there were 26 fentanyl overdose deaths in argentina around the buenos aires region of argentina why why so their cocaine should be coming directly from colombia across south american channels none of that should have gotten like mixed with fentanyl because you know it's the it's americans that like fentanyl and opioids it's a uniquely american phenomenon how did fentanyl get in the cocaine supply on a south american trafficking route that blows my mind it means that the, the production of drugs is getting closer and closer together right vertical integration is happening with drugs and the fentanyl is getting closer to the cocaine in these these incidents of cross-contamination. People are not cutting cocaine with fentanyl. I want to be very clear. That is a bad business practice. And the drug market follows the basic laws of capitalism and economics. No one is cutting their cocaine with fentanyl. What's occurring is exactly what you said. It's cross-contamination. It's accidental. It's spillages. It's They're using the same spoon, the same packages. It's on their hands. And people with co- that use cocaine have zero opioid tolerance. So they die really easily. 
No, absolutely. It's not like people go into it. It's not like clean room to clean room necessarily. Right. You know? Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. These ain't I mean, silicon I've, chips. I've seen the kitchen tables at work. I've seen how this goes down. Uh, so um, now, if people wanted to support, what's your uh, what's the website? How do people follow yeah. um, the work that um, the work that you're doing, and but in particular, also Beats Overdose? And uh, does it have a website? Yeah, beatsoverdose.com is the website. Uh, I'm working on making that website more beautiful, getting our, our ass, uh, some photographs, videos up there. Uh, Rhyme Standards Entertainment's been helping me edit a little sizzle reel video thing. I just got my 501c3 charter back from the IRS yesterday, so I'll be able to start accepting cash donations pretty soon. It won't be tax deductible. I don't, think, I don't know how it works. Exactly. I got to figure out how it works. Um, but yeah, sign up for our newsletter on the website, uh, and we'll be sending out opportunities of how to support really soon. We're going to start selling merch, uh, which will help fund our operations. Um, we're applying for some different grants. The issue is when you, the United States of America is a federation. We are a, we barely have a federal government. We have, so I have to figure out 50 different state laws and how they administer all the Narcan and the, some states fentanyl test strips are still illegal under drug paraphernalia. And I have to figure out all 50 states if I want to operate in all 50 states and I'm doing that. So I dedicate huge amounts of my spare time that does not exist <laughs> to Beats Overdose because I'm just so excited about the opportunity that we have here. That's terrific. And um, and uh, social media. How do we? Um, how oh, do we yeah. What's your so yours yours and and beats overdose with social? Yeah. Media? So it's uh, at Morgan Godwin, G O D V I N, and that's on all the socials. So we have Twitter, Instagram, got into TikTok recently, um, and then at Beats Overdose on Instagram and Twitter. I'm the only one of me with my name. I'm actually pretty easy to find. And then I, so morgangodvin.com is my website. Beatsoverdose.com is the website for Beats. Um, and yeah, follow me. I especially like Twitter because I suck at visual presentations and video. So I just like to write my things. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm working on getting into TikTok and being more active on, on the Beats Overdose socials because, you know, it was a long winter in the Pacific Northwest. Not that much was going was going on, but touring season is ramping up. So we formed a consortium. I'm not the only one doing this. I'm the only one doing this with hip hop, but there's other people doing harm reduction through music. Punk in North Carolina, the underground punk scene. Uh, we already we all know that EDM has a long culture and history of, of drug checking and we, we've we've we're starting to form like a little consortium and, and figuring out what people are doing in, in all different aspects of the country and um it just feels good to have hope about something for a change that was my conversation with morgan godvin she's a drug policy reform advocate in portland oregon an engagement editor for the american prison newspaper collection at jstor a person in long-term recovery founder of a harm reduction organization called beats overdose a commissioner on the state of oregon's alcohol and drug policy commission a member of the oregon health authorities measure 110 oversight and accountability council and a member of the multnomah county local public safety coordinating council and that's it Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Free Culture Radio. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. Many thanks to my guest, Morgan Godwin. A big thank you to everyone out there fighting for civil rights, human rights, and social justice. And thanks especially to you, dear listener, for your support. You make it all worth it. Free Culture Radio is a volunteer production for community radio, syndicated via the Pacifica Foundation Radio Network's audio port service. 
Free Culture Radio is also available as a podcast or direct download. Find links at the website kboo.fm slash freeculture. Theme music for Free Culture Radio was composed and performed by Tom Nickel and Four Dimensional Nightmare. Free Culture Radio is on Facebook at facebook.com slash kboo free culture radio. Please give it a like. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Doug McVeigh. We'll be back in a month to continue our examination of drugs, drug cultures, and the influence of drugs on society. Thanks again for listening. This is Doug McVeigh saying so long. So long. <laughs>